Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. In the New Testament, start in the back of your Bible. If, if you're uh, uh, not familiar with Colossians, just thumb through a couple of books. Colossians is right there near the end. Chapter 1, verse 15. Just sing a song uh, called All Is Well. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. All is well, all is well. Let there be peace on earth. It's, it's a Christmas thing to say. It's on all the cards uh, to talk about peace, to pray for peace, peace on the world. Uh, uh, it's a very, very common Christmas word, peace. Uh, at the same time, it's something that many of us don't have a lot of. We can talk about peace in the world, uh, peace in other countries, peace in places of war, but, but honestly, the, the place of war for many of us is right inside our own hearts. We're not exactly at peace in our own skin. Uh, last night, uh, I was awake at about 1 o'clock in the morning. I was awake anxious, worrying. I don't know why I do that, but I'm not the only one. How many of you were up? How many of you could I have called? Uh, you, you were wide awake. About half our church typically uh, is like that. I, I don't know how to explain that. We're believers. We're, we're Christians. We do have Christ in our hearts, and we know where our peace comes from. But even us, we can find it very, very difficult, very difficult to walk and live and sleep in that kind of heavenly peace. I want us to look tonight to, to Colossians chapter 1 and, and remind ourselves where our peace comes from and the price with which it was bought. Colossians chapter 1 is not your typical Christmas passage. You're thinking I should be turning to Luke or one of the Gospels and telling you a story about the manger in and, and Bethlehem with shepherds and, and all of that. And, and I'm telling you a Christmas story, but not that one. Uh, there's a way to tell the Christmas story, and, and the way we're used to it is from below, down here at ground level, where you can talk about uh, the baby in the straw with, with the animals, perhaps, and, and the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph in, in a manger, all of that sort of thing. But there's another way to look at the story, and it's how I want us to look at it today. It's more of a, a God's eye, a cosmic view of Christmas. Christmas. It's a view from 30,000 feet, maybe, if you would. It is still the Christmas story, but it's a very, very different way of looking at it, and it's an important way to look at it. Colossians is, of course, originally a letter written from a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, to a church, a group of Christians in a city called Colossa. They were the Colossians, and that's where we get that name, that the city was Colossa. And at the church there at Colossa, there was a lot of confusion. Now, these are people, some of whom may have even seen Jesus when he lived and walked and, and was buried and, and raised again. I mean, we're talking about a, just within that generation when Jesus was alive, but already there's a lot of confusion. And some of the people at the church at Colossae weren't exactly clear on who Jesus was, what it would mean to call him the Son of God. They had decided, some of them, that he wasn't really God at all. And as a matter of fact, he probably really wasn't human at all. They were teaching that Jesus was something in between, something in between people and God, but he wasn't fully God, and he certainly wasn't God in the flesh, and probably wasn't real flesh anyway, probably something in the middle Theirs was a lower view of Christ, and so Paul wants to give them a higher view of Christ, and that's what the Scripture is about. It's important that your view of Christ be sufficient, because it's from Christ we get our salvation, it's from Christ we get our strength, our peace, our, 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 our strength every day. Therefore, if your view of Christ is insufficient, you will have insufficient peace and strength and, and grace for every day. So let's take the high view of Christ that we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, follow along with me in your scriptures. 
I love this. I love this first verse. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Let that soak in. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. All of these words are important. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who arise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. That's good stuff. That's good scripture. A a while back, the state of Oregon hired an outside uh, contracting group to do a task for them. The job was to figure out a way to save the state lottery in case of a natural disaster or terrorist attack. They're paying over $100,000 to a group to help them figure out that in the event of a horrible earthquake or some sort of natural disaster in the state of Oregon, in the event of something like a terrorist attack, some horrible tragedy, they want this group to figure out how to keep the lottery running. Their, their, their goal is in, the, is in the situation like that to have video poker back up within 48 hours. Okay, now think about that. We've had a terrorist attack. It's horrible. Civilization as we know it is next to destroyed. So please get video poker back up in 20. Do you understand, what I'm, understand the problem with what I'm reading here? It's a priority issue. I mean, seriously. If we've had a natural disaster, people are hungry, the roads are all, I mean, everything is, is totally demolished. Do you really think that the state lottery is going to be a priority? When people question, the state of Oregon will tell you that their lottery makes them a million dollars, a million dollars a day. Priorities. It's really about priorities, don't you think? On, on Mondays, if you see me, it's probably going to be at Walmart. Every Monday is my day off as your pastor. And on Monday, I tend to do the grocery shopping for my family. I go to Walmart at about 11 o'clock. If, if you're there, you'll see me nearly, nearly any Monday. I go at 11, though, which tells you one thing. I'm going before lunch, which means at the grocery, I am 
hungry. They say never do that. Why should you not shop for groceries when you're hungry? Because everything looks good. Yeah, everything looks good. Now, my wife makes a list. I don't really follow her list, and, and, and that's my fault. She makes a list of things we need. It hangs on the refrigerator where it usually hangs when I'm at the grocery. I, I don't usually have a, a list with me, but I have my stomach. And as I go down those aisles, man, everything looks good. I mean, everything looks good. So what do I get? Everything. Everything. Everything that looks good. You know, everything that looks good. So that means, man, me and little Debbie, we are like this. Me and little Debbie, man, I love the little Debbies. I just can fill up a cart, and I do. I will fill up a cart on Mondays, and it's ridiculous. I don't really think much about it until I'm standing there at the end, and the lady, one more time, will tell me how much I've spent on the cartload of stuff. Pickles, little Debbies, you know what I'm talking about. It's amazing, because then I think, I've got to go home now and explain to my wife how I spent so much money on on this stuff. The worst part is, when supper time comes, and it's time to eat supper, you know where this leads? I've bought all of these groceries, i filled the pantry with stuff, but when it comes time to eat a meal, we don't have anything for supper. Do you know Little Debbie's don't really make supper? It's, It's a priority thing as well. The point is when you go to the grocery, for example, you're supposed to have probably made a list. You should know ahead of time what you need. I should have looked to see if we have milk, bread, the the sort of things that you need when it's time to have a meal. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I tend to not do that. Therefore, when I get to the grocery, I'm vulnerable. I just start getting all sorts of things, and I can get all sorts of things, but I may not get my family's priorities. Priorities are the kinds of things that you have to settle ahead of time. You can't do them as you go along. You can't decide what's important while you're in the flow of your life. You have to do that first. You have to do that up front. What's important? What are your priorities going to be? We're still talking about priorities. Maybe you heard that story. It was on the internet a couple of years ago. It it continues to grow and get worse and worse. But it's the story I believe actually happened There's a family, a wealthy family, who were going to have their baby christened on a Sunday morning. So Saturday night, they threw a dinner party for all of their friends to come and celebrate their baby and to celebrate his christening at church the next day, a fancy dinner party. Before the guests arrived, the mama had the baby. She laid the baby down, fell asleep, laid the baby down on her bed with the blanket and, and, and then went on and continued getting dinner ready. As the guests started to arrive, the first guest said, what should I do with my coat? The woman said, go ahead and throw the coat on the bed. You know what happened? The first guest went through the coat on the bed. The coat covered the baby. All the other guests came in. Where did they put their coats? On the bed. They piled their coats on top of the baby. At some point before dinner, the mother heard a muffled cry. And it dawned on her, the baby. that They had to look for the baby. Where did they find the baby? Under all the coats. Isn't that amazing? It was his party. Did you understand what I'm saying? The whole thing was for the baby, but somehow the baby got lost. The baby got buried under all of the mound of coats. They nearly lost the baby. You understand? It was a dangerous situation. It was his party, but obviously he wasn't the priority. Which reminds me of Christmas. Do you know what I'm saying now? It's his party. Christmas of all days is supposed to be that day where we set aside to think about Christ and to honor him and to remember that he was born, that he has come to be our Savior. It's supposed to be a day for him. 
But we've got to recognize we don't do this very well. If it were only one day that we needed to recognize him, we can't even do that. Jesus is nearly lost by now, and it's not even that close to Christmas. But by now, he's already lost in your schedule. He's already lost in all of the shopping you feel like you have to do and the cooking and everything else that you will do and call it Christmas. But it's about him. It's about him. He is the priority. And, and hang on to it. You need to understand something very important. It's not just one day of the year that he's supposed to be the, the priority. It's not just one day out of the calendar that belongs to him. It's all the days out of the calendar. Every day, everything belongs to him. That's what the scripture says. And this is very, very important. Do you want to know why we don't often have peace in our hearts? Do you really want to know? You really want to know why it is you worry so much and why it is that things just don't seem to work out for you? Do you really want to know why it is that your life is absolutely somehow uh, so very absent of peace and, and calm and, and joy? It's because your life is out of order. Your priorities are out of order. There's no simpler way to say it to you and for me as well. Our priorities, our life is out of order. And because our life is out of order, nothing goes right for us. Nothing seems to work out. Your whole life is out of whack because your priorities are messed up. You say, Brother Tim, you don't understand. I tend to a lot of important things. I know how to balance my work and my job, and, and I know how to do this, and I probably would say you do. I, I bet you do. You balance a lot of important things, and you're probably very used to prioritizing your day and your time. But, but I've got one thing to show you, and it comes from the book of Colossians, and it's a very, very simple principle. And that is this. Jesus is first. He's first. It's what the scripture says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I love that. The God whom we cannot see. The God who is almighty, eternal, absolutely beyond our understanding. The God we cannot see. He has come to us in a way we can see. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything, before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. What does that mean? He comes first. He comes first chronologically. He comes first in every way. Jesus is first. We can talk about his birth in Bethlehem, the baby Jesus born of the Virgin Mary. We can talk about the shepherds. We can talk about all of that. But if you're thinking that that's where Jesus gets his start, you're missing the whole point of the story. Jesus is what we call pre-existent. It's not that he was born in Bethlehem and boom, now he's here. Jesus existed long before Bethlehem. Jesus himself is God eternal, the visible image of the invisible God. He comes before everything else. Scripture says it was through him that everything is created. So everything that is, is created through him and for him. It all belongs to him. He is Supreme, the scripture says, over everything in creation, and that includes you. He's first. He is higher. He is highest. He is highest over all creation. As a matter of fact, he is highest. He takes first place in everything except your life. And that's the problem. Don't you understand that? That's the problem. 
Jesus is supposed to be first. He is supreme. He is the priority in every place but most of our hearts. And that is why we lack peace. That is why our lives are so messed up. Our lives are out of order. It really doesn't matter how many important things you manage to prioritize. If Jesus is not your first priority, everything else is wrong. Everything else is out of place. Whatever you have placed above Christ, it is out of place, and it's not going to go well for you. Jesus comes first. He's your priority. You give your life to your work. You give your life to money. You give your life to relationships. You give your life to so many things, some of them important, many of them not important at all. Let's be honest, most of us as Christians, statistically it's shown, we will spend more time shopping between now and December 25th, more time shopping than we will spend worshiping. There is something out of whack about that. Something wrong with our lives. Our priorities are messed up. Jesus comes first. Let me talk to you who are parents for a moment. I know that most of us in this room have kids in our lives. If you're not a parent, you've probably got nieces and nephews or, or, or some younger ones in your life. And we all want good things for the kids, and especially those of us who are parents. I want my son to be a godly man. I want my son to have a heart set on fire for Christ. I want my son to live his life with God's blessings showered on him. That's what I want. I know that's what you want too. We all want wonderful things for our children. I want my son to grow up and be a good Christian man. But listen to me, Dad. Listen to me, Mom. If Christ is not everything to you, he will mean nothing to your kids. Do you hear what I'm saying? If Christ does not mean everything to you, he will mean nothing to your kids. Your kids are smart, and you're teaching them every single day what's important, and believe me, they know what's important to you. You model it, you walk it, you talk it, you teach it every single day, and not just when you're in church. They know what's important to mom and dad. They know, and if Christ is not everything to you, he'll be nothing to your kids. Jesus comes first. He is the priority. He is supreme over everything. You're wondering why your life lacks peace? It's because your life is in the wrong order. Christ comes first. And then notice what it says. I love this verse. This is absolutely, absolutely stunning. He existed before anything else, verse 17. And he holds all creation together. The words there just simply say, uh, in him all things are held together. In Christ, all things are held together. Now, now think about that. In Christ, the creator of everything, through him, for him, everything is created. In him, everything is held together. That seems very simply what that means is everything in Christ's hands holds together. The flip side of that, of course, is everything in my hands does what? It falls apart. Everything in Christ's hands holds together. Everything in my hands, it falls apart. Think about it. Everything in all creation, Scripture says, he holds it together Several years ago, there was a, a three United States physicists who won the Nobel Prize in science for their research in what they called strong force. 
Now, I'm really not a physicist. I know none of you think I am, and I'm not, I don't know much about this stuff. But I've known for, since I was young and, and, in, and in school that there was always a mystery pertaining to everything that is in creation, and especially the atom, uh, the smallest particle, the atom. The atom, as you know, has a, a nucleus, and inside there are, are two kinds of particles. Remember what they're called? Protons and Neutrons, protons and neutrons inside the very center of an atom. The thing is, the protons all have a positive charge. You, you, you with me here? I'm not going much deeper. I can't. They have a positive charge. If you know anything, if you've ever played with magnets, you know that positive charges or, or like charges repel one another, that they fly apart from each other. So the mystery for years in physics has always been what holds everything together. Because at the very, very center of an atom are these particles, these protons, that, that, that ought to explode into nothingness. Of all the things we think we understand, we've never been able to understand what holds everything together. At the very, very center of our being, the, the atomic level, we don't understand why something doesn't explode into nothing. These scientists got together, researched it, and they called it strong force. They named it. It's strong force that holds everything. They stayed up all night long working on the name of that. You understand? They call it strong force. Three physicists won the Nobel Prize for naming that strong force. They still don't know what it is. It's just a force that holds everything in creation together. I could have saved them some trouble. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, what's it say? It's in Christ that everything holds together. He's the creator of everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's the creator of everything at the atomic level, at every level. He holds things together. In his hands, things hold together. In my hands, things tend to fall apart. And I'm just telling you the truth. And you know it's true because it's true for you too. Things that we touch, we just tend to ruin everything. I can't do anything. Everything works against me somehow. We were decorating our Christmas tree yesterday. This may be just me, but my hunch is it's not just me. I love our Christmas tree. We have a million ornaments. We hang them all on the tree. We've got all kinds of ornaments. Some of them are like Wade's first Christmas, baby's first Christmas, baby's second Christmas. Wade was pulling them out of the box. My son is 15 now. He was pulling these out. He had baby's first Christmas, baby's second Christmas, baby's third Christmas, baby's fourth Christmas, baby's fifth Christmas, baby's sixth Christmas. And he said, why'd y'all stop buying those? Yeah. <laughs> Baby's 15th Christmas just sounds a little lame to me. I don't even know if they make that. We have these ornaments, and of course, they have a front and a back. We have lots of ornaments where it's like the shepherds or whatever, and, and, and it's, maybe it's just me. I'm a little persnickety about this stuff, but when I hang you know, baby's first Christmas or the shepherds on the tree, I want them to face me. I want them to face out. I want baby's first Christmas, the words to be on the side of the ornament facing me. But when I hang an ornament on the tree and step back, what happens? They turn away from me. Yeah. I don't understand this. Let the physicists study this one. They turn away from me, so I'll go and I'll turn it around. I'll take the string and hang it opposite, and what will happen? Yeah. Call that strong force if you want. No matter what I do, it will turn away from me. I have a tree full of ornaments with every ornament facing in. But that's like my whole life. 
It's like somehow in my own life, the things I try to do with my own hands, the things I try to do in my own intelligence or with my own strength, all of those things somehow end up turning against me. It's somehow not in me to work out my life for the better. It's just not. I will shoot myself in the foot every time. I will always somehow make the dumbest mistake. I will somehow always sabotage my own peace and my own happiness. It's just something about being human, something about being a sinner, something about being you and me, the things in our hands, we just can't manage to hold them together. Do we need to talk about examples? Do you want to talk about your life at work? You want to talk about your professional life, how one way or the other jobs just never seem to go your way? You want to talk about how even if we manage to hold it together on the outside, things have a way of falling apart on the inside for us in the ways that nobody knows but we know on the inside it's all crumbling. You want to talk about relationships? Some of you right now, you've got to change friends every two years. You've got to move. You've got to change jobs, change churches. You don't do relationships very well. No matter what happens, somehow you end up crossways with the people you say you love. You just can't make relationships work. You want to talk about your marriage right now? You want to talk about how you and this man, this woman, one time you stood on an altar and you promised to love each other until death, and now you don't even think you're going to make it through the end of the year as a married couple? There's something wrong. Don't you understand? The things in your hands, they fall apart, and it's not in you to hold it together. I'm not saying there's something wrong with you that makes you different from me. It's all of us. The things in our hands just fall apart. But the things in Jesus' hands hold together. Do you want to make your marriage work? Put it in Jesus' hands. He'll hold that thing together. You want to raise godly kids? Put those kids in Jesus' hands. If you raise them in your hands, they're going to grow up and be just like you. God, help them. But if you put those kids in Jesus' hands... They'll grow up to be like Christ. Things in Jesus' hands hold together. In my hands, things tend to fall apart. Scripture says this, God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, verse 20, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made, say the word, peace. He made peace. Peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. <laughs> I love that. This includes you. It says that through Christ, God's fullness was there to dwell. And through Christ, God was reconciling everything to himself. What's that word reconcile mean? Just very simply, it means to bring together. God in Christ was bringing everything together, everything in all creation, and this includes you. It includes you. Read on there, verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were separated, enemies of God, separated by your evil thoughts and actions. Say, Brother Tim, I have evil thoughts and actions, but all of my thoughts aren't evil. Sometimes I think about puppies and rainbows and, and sunshine, and I understand that you do. I understand that not all of your thoughts are evil, but let's just be real, real honest. 
God knows our hearts. God knows our thoughts. And for most of us, the inside is very, very wicked. I manage to conceal the wickedness in me most of the time, but it's there. And the scripture makes it very plain that it's that wickedness inside of me, those evil thoughts, those evil actions that separate me from a God who has no wickedness in him. There is no darkness in his light. There is no impurity in his purity. He is all holy God. And there is nothing like me or nothing like you that can stand in his presence because we are separated because of our sin. It's that tendency we have. It's that sin tendency that everything we touch, it falls apart. Nothing like that pertains to God. And that is why we're separated. We have nothing in common with him. And we're separated from him. Separated enemies, the scripture says, because of our evil thoughts, our evil actions, and that's just the truth. Honestly, this is like one of those before and after pictures, and I love it. If if you're a Christian, a believer like me, you'll say that this is your story, and this is what Paul is saying. Once you were far away from God, you were separated by your evil thoughts and and your evil actions, and I can say, yes, absolutely. I know that. I remember that. I was once far away from God. Being a pastor these years, I can tell you one thing. Most everybody you know is far away from God, and they know it. They know it. That is not news to any of us. Most of us recognize we are far away from God. We long to be nearer to him. We long to pray and feel like our prayers get heard. We pray, it feels like we're talking to ourselves. We're far away from God. Paul says, once you were far away from God, but something happened, and he shows you another picture. It's before and after. Pay attention. Yet now, verse 22, now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you, you who were far away from God, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This includes you, and this is what it says, that you are able to stand before God without a single fault. Apparently, Paul doesn't know me. Without a single fault? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is what the Scripture says. Is that Scripture saying that I'm perfect, that I have no faults? Oh, no, no. We all know. We all know our faults. But the amazing thing is because of what Christ has done, because of his death on the cross, because of what Christ has done to bring those who are far away from God near to God, something radically different now can be said about our lives in relation to God. When God looks at me now, when God looks at you, he doesn't see my faults. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see someone who deserves to be condemned for eternity and kept far away from him forever and ever. That's not what God sees. When God looks at me now, God sees the blood of Christ. When God looks at you, if you're a believer, God sees the righteousness of Christ He does not look at me as a sinner anymore. He does not see me as a man full of faults and always likely to shoot himself in the foot. God sees me with the righteousness of Christ. He was making peace with everything, the scripture says. Peace with everything in all creation. Peace bought through the blood of Christ. A very high price. The price of our peace was the blood of Christ. Christ. He reconciled everything to himself, and this includes 
you. There's a way to tell the Christmas story down here at ground level. It's a story about a baby in a manger with hay. It's a story about uh, evil kings and faithful shepherds and wise men who brought gifts to the baby. You know that story, but I want you to learn to see the story of Jesus from above. It's a very cosmic, a very different kind of picture. Think less about the wise men who came and brought gifts to baby Jesus. Instead, understand that this Jesus who came, who was born the visible image of an invisible God, this Jesus did not come to receive gifts from us. He came to give to us a gift. And it was the gift of peace. Peace with God. Peace with everything in all creation. Peace inside my own skin. Peace with myself. Often we're not at peace. My friend, is Jesus first in your life? Is he supreme in all of your priorities? Because if not, you won't have peace. All the things in your life, have you placed them in the hands of Jesus? Because he will hold everything together. If right now in your life things are falling apart, you have not put your life in the hands of the one who holds everything together. Scripture says he brought peace to all of creation, everything in heaven and earth. He brought peace, and this includes you. Pray with me. Jesus, all the Christmas cards say peace. All the songs we sing say peace. God, something inside many of our hearts, it does not say peace. God, we recognize that our lives are out of order. We recognize that many, many parts of our lives have not been placed in your hands. Lord Jesus, help us. God, I pray for the ones in this house who've never, ever in their lives made you first place, never become Christians. Lord, I pray for those who've never, ever taken their lives and placed everything in the hands of the one who holds it together. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us today to place our whole selves in your hands that you might hold us together and bring us peace. Lord Jesus, I pray for peace for every single one in this room today, peace for their families, peace, Lord, relationships and at work and at school and financially, peace, Lord, peace in the middle of their own stomachs, the middle of their own hearts, peace. Lord Jesus, we know that this peace comes only from you, the Prince of Peace. So, Lord Jesus, today, let us come into your presence, those of us who have been far away from you. Let us draw near to you by your blood. Find peace. In Jesus' name, amen.